Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Today is your lucky day. You could redeem sweeps coins for a $50,000 cash prize at Chumba Casino. Join over 1 million players at Chumba Casino, America's favorite online social casino. It's your turn. Play for free at ChumbaCasino.com. That's C-H-U-M-B-A Casino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's been a couple weeks of research. I've been trying real hard to parse through something that I thought was going to be a lot simpler. Oh, oh were we deceived? Ooh, I <laughs> thought that this was going to be so much easier than yeah, it was. No, because I always think that the when we cover artists that we grew up with, mm-hmm. oh, I grew up with this. Like I remember Super this. Easy. I can put myself in this mindset and in this time. I totally remember all this. Yup. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. Whoa, oh, <laughs> there's a lot. There is a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Oh, who boy. Doesn't, it really makes you realize that you're, you were kind of just a surface fan when oh. you were a young kid. All the bands that you were into when we were in high school and shit. Yeah, we liked them, but we didn't know shit. Yeah. Well, this particular artist i definitely would agree with you i i even back then that i was a surface fan yeah i liked the the singles on mtv and that was really it and also and i like that it pissed off my parents well my mom specifically that i listened to it (laughs) but also there was a persona that people like to put on to this artist oh yeah and we kind of ate it up a little bit because it was rebellious oh my god yeah because in the late 90s what was rebellious eyeliner and trench coats and 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 summoning the devil yeah i just drawing like you know a pentagram on your for- pentagram on your forehead it, that's that's how we rebelled in the late 90s and it worked my mother was terrified yeah and you know what big pants she big, big she, pants are what it was really, really the big pants it was the jinkos that really, really just, just fucking oof. sent our parents off the fucking the fishnet oh, shirts yeah. that i wore under like a regular t-shirt yep mm. That's yeah. what killed it. And the that's, spikes. That's All oh, the yeah. spikes. Spikies. All the spikes you can fucking find. Yeah. yeah. We're covering some <laughs> fun 90s goth right up here. Some major hot topic realness. If you remember today. the 90s, buckle up. <laughs> we're covering Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Satan's child. <laughs> or, I mean, so he wants you to think. The Antichrist superstar of all of our dreams. Honestly? Yeah. Yeah. Looked up to him. He kind of did it. Guys, he did it. Guys, he, he did. nailed he, it. He did nail it. 
Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's some wording. Is phrasing not a thing anymore? Ew. Ew. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. <laughs> Your weekly podcast that brings you sweet treats from the world of music in the form of tales and stories that we relay to you, the listener, with our lovely voices. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And as we just opened up with, we are talking this week, continuing our Spooptober artist series mm-hmm. with one of the scariest artists of Cer- our childhood. <laughs> Certainly the one that got our parents' panties in a fucking oh, wad. Oh, God. So, so many wads. So there many were... wadded underwear. It was a wad of wads. <laughs> it was. It was wadded up wads. Yeah. That's what that was. Like, my mother was mortified oh. when I would be in my room listening to the two Marilyn Manson songs that I would listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I will admit, I was a Surface fan at best. Oh, yeah. I mean, dove like a little bit deeper, but I was like, no, I'm okay with just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to stay here. I listen, I listen to Man That You Fear a lot, uh-huh. which like, wow, I was a dark kid. There are some parts like, that was dark, Maggie. <laughs> and I, because through doing my research, I always listen through the discography and I was listening to Man That You Fear again. And I'm like. Ooh, this puts me in a dark place still. I yes. can't listen to this as, even as an adult because it just puts me in a place that I don't need to be in. Yeah. So, I mean, there. I will give him this. He definitely did a very good job. He hit that niche market that needed him at that time. For yeah. sure. He saw kids that needed somebody. He was like, it is all bullshit, though, isn't it? Yeah. I... The only thing I kind of feel a little bit bad about with his story is that he really made it big during the whole new metal thing. And right. He, and he wasn't new metal. He wasn't new metal and he often got lumped in with those bands. He wasn't new metal. And that might be why I was a Surface fan because I was way too busy listening yeah. to Corn and Limp Biscuit. <laughs> way too into that garbage. Yeah. Wow. Who? I mean, at this point, gun in my head, if you're like Marilyn Manson or Limp Bizkit, you got to listen to one. I'm like, yeah, give me a Marilyn Manson uh, Marilyn album Manson. any yeah. fucking day. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least there's some depth to that. Unless, do I want to laugh? Because if I want to laugh, I might pick Limp Bizkit. Sometimes Limp Bizkit comes laugh, on though. and I laugh. I can't even laugh at it now. It's just like, I, I get, it's like watching cringe comedy now oh no i can't i can't oh, i hate cringe comedy that and might make I can't. it funnier to me that's why i laugh at it because i kind of love fringe or cringe comedy i don't like it and it just makes me embarrassed for the person yeah oh i'm just embarrassed for you friend Durst. yeah yeah i am no i'm not he's such a bad person he he deserves every bit of embarrassment that he has in his life yeah but i don't need to see that train wreck that's fair just do it somewhere else i don't need i don't need that Speaking of train wrecks that we didn't need to be a part of, I'm just going to start being honest. Oh, yeah. The beer's not good this week, guys. guys. All right. So this week we're drinking Purgatory Power Hour by, uh, Gun- it's a, it's a mixture. It's a team up from Gun Hill, which is always. Gun Hill has never done me wrong. But However, then- <laughs> however, Thin Man Brewery had to come in and I'm, I'm blaming it all on Thin Man. Because I have yet to have a good beer from them. See, it's a Belgian triple, which you're like, yeah. Oh, I, I'm sorry. It's a hoppy Belgian triple. Yeah. But you see Belgian triple and you're like, sweet. I love Belgian I love triples. Belgian triples. And then you pour great. it into a glass and you're like, 
oh, this smells like pine saw. Oh, no. Oh. Like, I feel like maybe we should start being honest about the beers. I suppose. I mean, I don't want to besmirch good. Okay, here's the thing. This could, I'm not saying it's a bad beer because it is made poorly. I'm not even saying it's a bad beer. Yeah. I'm saying it's it is not a beer to our that taste. we do not like. Yes. Exactly. You know what? Because I've been afraid up till now to be honest about beers. Because there have been a few guys that I was like, this is fine. And it wasn't. Yeah. And it wasn't. If I said it was passable, that meant I hated it. Let's be honest. Like, let's rewind this a little bit. Because yeah. there was one beer that we had that we full on bold face lied about. <laughs> Oh my God. And it was the fucking foreign objects beer, oh, the hoppy yep. American ale or whatever it was yeah, I think that we that drank we for heard. Elliot Smith. Yep, that shit was disgusting. It's not good. Our friend who loves IPAs and lives and dies for IPAs dumped that shit out because he couldn't drink yeah. it. <laughs> Props to you, Matt. You made us you feel you tried. A little justified. You tried, and but- you know what? Now we feel yeah. we feel a little bit better about our taste in music. Yeah, yeah. music in beers. No, I've never doubted my taste in music. Yeah, me either. And I, yeah, we're gonna start being honest with the beers. It's not okay. It's not a bad beer, but it's I'm sick of hops. I'm sick of you shitting hops in all my fucking beers. I'm I sick of mind, IPAs. I don't mind a hoppiness that you like turn into like a flavor. Usually, you need some citrus or a little bit of fruit and like. You can totally pass it off. Mm-hmm. Decadent has that mochi one that's technically an IPA, but doesn't even. Oh, come that close one's to really good. Like an IPA, right? That one and the Destiel Funkin' Groovin. Mm-hmm. That, but that yeah, was yeah. a sour IPA. I love sour, sour IPAs. IPAs. Are fine. Yeah, this beer. It felt like we were in purgatory drinking it. Yeah, this I mean, is what you drink when you're just floating in limbo and floating with the chunks that are at the bottom of the oh, can. Yeah, there was a lot of chunks. A lot of chunks at the bottom. Shake that up if you get it. So if you like triple Belgians. And you like hops, get it, you'll love it, but it does exactly what it tastes like. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a mouthful of hops. <laughs> I guess. I no, I mean, it is, though. So. I'm fucking sick, okay? You are sick. Sick of those hops! Sick of the shit beer! Honestly. I mean, it's again, it's not a bad beer, it's just not our beer. And that's fine. We're fine with that. Yeah, this is a beer for somebody else, not us. Anyway, I think we've bullshit enough and now it's time to yeah, get we, into it we got a long fucking story guys yeah you guys might need to like get up a couple times and that's fine just pause it yeah get cozy like wrap yourself up in your favorite spooptober blanket mm-hmm. maybe like pour yourself a good beer like a stout or a porter and get ready for yeah. the story of marilyn manson the beautiful people. The beautiful, beautiful people. Oh. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, that was great. That's really good. Thanks. The controversy surrounding this artist was the thing of legend to our teenage ears back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Sure was. In fact, it probably <laughs> kept us more interested in him than his music did. Yep. And that's not to say he isn't a talented musician. His lyrics are insightful and his metaphors are on point. He isn't afraid to try something new and push the boundaries of what we expect to hear in metal or industrial. And no, he didn't play Paul on the Wonder Years or get a rib taken out to suck his own dick or performed <laughs> animal sacrifices on stage. Oh, uh, remember when like rumors were like the thing 
and you could you didn't have the internet to fact check shit right. and it just ran fucking wild oh they were so i mean people still are like he was paul in the wonder years like that no, was he wasn't. the most urbanist urban legend to ever urban legend it's been proven otherwise over and over again and i'm going to tell you exactly why he wasn't paul in the wonder years because i have his childhood right here right and that was a childhood <laughs> Tell me about his childhood. Born under a much less sensational name on January 5th, 1969, Brian Warner had typical American parents and was raised in a typical American town in Ohio. Oh. Yeah. But perhaps Brian's childhood wasn't all that typical at all. As I continued down the rabbit hole of his childhood, I discovered there is a lot of shit to unpack here. Some of it normal and sensible. And some of it really explains his psyche. Hmm. He was the only child of Barbara and Hugh Warner, which led him to being doted on pretty extensively. It probably didn't help that his father was a vet who was exposed to Agent Orange in Vietnam. Oh, like an army vet. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm like, sorry, wait, not a huh? veterinarian, a veteran like, of the Vietnam War. Was Agent Orange like a orange tabby cat? I'm not. Oh, I'm not. oh my god! I want to get a fat orange cat named Agent Orange. orange. <laughs> Write that down. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Wow. You can have a cat, an orange cat named Agent Orange, and I'll get a cat and name it Limpis Cat. Oh Perfect. God. We're going great cats. Don't really steal that. That's ours. That's ours. TMTM. <laughs> well, because of this, Brian was brought to many federal sponsored study groups for children of those exposed to Agent Orange in order to look for an, any anomalies or deviations as a result to the exposure. Wait, so like he would be exposed just by being around his dad? Or right, because his, his father was in Vietnam, right? Right. And when you were exposed to Agent Orange, it's the radiation, it's the poison, and they were so exposed could... to it, but he could have passed it on oh. through his semen. Oh, so he was in Vietnam before... Yes, yes, yes. Brian Warner was born. Right. Gotcha. He was in Vietnam, came home... I don't know why, because Brian was born right at, like, when Vietnam was heavy. I didn't go hmm. too much into the timeline here, but the point is, right. He was exposed. They did experiments on him. Not even necessarily experiments. They just watched him. And okay. they would have him go into play groups and study groups with other kids who were exposed just so they keep an eye on them. I'm just, wondering what you're laughing about I'm here. Like, this is weird. But did they keep tabs on him? Because... Boy, oh boy. I mean, they know who he is. They know who he is. He might not have had any physical anomalies, but... <laughs> I can just imagine them having notes on him, and, like, eventually the timeline gets to, like, 2001, and they're like, <laughs> turns into Antichrist Superstar. Check. <laughs> well, he took a while to really fully bloom into yeah. the Agent Orange ex exposure, but here we but are. you know what? When he did... He really did. Oh, he did, though. No. <laughs> no, that's terrible. Because, so we would play in these playgroups with other children who were exposed. And Brian was really lucky to not have anything. Yeah. He was playing with kids who were missing limbs. Oh, had, like... What? Yeah, I mean, because, again... Like, like serious nuclear, birth defects. Yeah, serious birth defects. Between, like, cleft palate and missing limbs and what have you in between. Uh-huh. So, it is interesting to note that he was exposed to as an early child. Because if you really look a lot of at a lot of his imagery through his lyrics and his art, you see kind of a lot of that really youngster um, disturbance. Like, like, disturbing kind of imagery, but also, like, a nursery rhyme kind of aspect to it. Yeah. And so, also... Kind of gave him exposure to people who are quote unquote different. Yes. And I that, that 
I think, definitely factored into his artistry at he, a later date. He embraced difference with no problem. Yeah. And I'm sure this played a part in that. Yeah. No, no question. So it's understandable that his mother was very protective of him, but it may not have come from an innocuous place. Okay. In the years since, it's come out that Barbara suffered from Munchausen by proxy syndrome. Oh, which yeah. is the same thing that Gypsy Rose's mom had. Mm-hmm. You got it. She convinced Brian that he had allergies and illnesses that he never did. And she even made him believe his earlobes were too long. He became so self-conscious about it that he got plastic surgery and had them shorter when he had them made shorter when he got older. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that's what Munchausen can fucking do to somebody, yeah. though. Yeah. So there you go. Don't have Munchausen, Stop moms it. and dads. And as one would imagine, the Warners wanted their child to go to only the best schools. So they sent him to the local Christian school because it was known for having better resources and giving children a better education. Okay. If you know anything about organized religion, Mm. you know it's all about indoctrinating and getting them in young. Every day at school, Brian was exposed to the ways of sinners and saints and how to act to avoid eternal damnation, which, let's be honest, a little freaky for a small kid to learn about. Yeah. 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 As he got older, Brian began to question the Bible lessons he was being fed. And with that came the rebellion. From there came his love affair with God's mortal enemy. Rock and roll! (laughs) Devil's music. The devil's music. He became a big fan of the standards and classics. Alice Cooper, Judas Priest, Kiss, Iron Maiden, the list goes on. I, I, I feel like we've heard this before. Like everyone? Like... Everyone. 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 Standards and classics. Everyone. Everyone. He's a fairly talented artist and would actually draw pictures of Eddie from Maiden wherever he could, like on his notebooks and shit, even making a mural in his room with a creature that looks suspiciously like the mascot. Aw. Yeah. He loved the theatrics of Kiss and took up the drums in his preteen years. Yep, Brian was pretty nerdy when it came to his satanic loves, which, in addition to the devil's music... He also partook in Satan's game, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, Ouija board. No, that's like, I would say that's Lilith's game. Lilith's game? Lilith. Yeah, I know who Lilith Lilith's is. Lilith's game. It's, I don't think a lot of boys play Ouija. I'm being sexist. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, but it ch- kind of checks out. Right? It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Brian would DM many a game, loving the opportunity to create worlds and scenarios for his adventurers to take part in. It was a great outlet for him as someone who was working on ways to improve his skills as a writer. He was the dungeon master? Yeah. Nice. But of course, all these ways of rebellion made him a target for bullying. Of course, he dealt with the usual harassment and would get beat up by other boys who assumed he was gay because that's a great way to deal with homosexuals. Well, yeah, I mean... If you were interested in anything other than the popular stuff, then you were fucking gay. You're so gay. However, the worst of it would come when a neighbor boy, a little older than him, was starting to molest Brian. It came to a stop after he told his mother, but it's no doubt that the trauma made its mark. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's not even a whole ton on it, too. Like... It's hard to find a lot of it, which is he's, fine. But he's fucking it's, neighbor boys. It's always a neighbor it's boy. It's always like this older neighbor boy. He doesn't have to deal with his fucking problems. His, his fucking parents. What are you doing? <sighs> I'd like to say it stops there. But unfortunately, Brian had to deal with more than outsiders making his life hell. His grandparents were a source of mind-altering events that no child should be exposed to. What? As an overtly Christian family, 
When they found him acting up, they would punish him by making him kneel on broomsticks for long periods of time. But that wasn't the only thing. The basement in his grandparents' house was off-limits to everyone except his grandfather. His grandfather was killing people down there, wasn't he? Mm. Oh, boy. No. Oh. And one day, Brian and his cousin would discover why. They snuck down to peek around, because, you know, curious boys do, Mm -hmm. and ended up coming across his porn stash. But it wasn't just any porn. It was a lot of bestiality and BDSM. Okay. Brian was still pretty young. And I'm not trying to kink shame anybody, but Brian was pretty young. I'm going to say bestiality is something that okay, you can yeah, kink, shame shame kink shame people about. Bestiality. That's totally. That's weird, right? Yeah, that's. No. All right. Just stop. I'm not an asshole for being like, I don't know about that bestiality. BDSM is fine. Consensual that's BDSM fine. is great. Not bestiality. All right. You know cool. what? Stop. But like I was saying, Brian was really young at this time, though. It's that pivotal part in anyone's life where sex was beginning to form a more concrete picture in your mind. And but it was like, still a mystery. And shit like that sticks with you. Because, yeah. like, I very vividly remember finding, like, my dad's old porn stash oh in my the basement. Oh. Oh. Which is disgusting. But I very vividly still remember that. I'm, and I was young. So it sticks with you. I'm very lucky. Um... My parents didn't keep pointing the house, or if they did, they did not have it anywhere where I could find it. Yeah. Never had that experience, thankfully. His curiosity didn't end there, though. He ended up catching his grandfather masturbating to this porn a few times when he'd go downstairs to, quote-unquote, play with his train set. You see, Brian's grandfather Ooh. had a train set down there and would turn it on and basically, and like, pretend. masturbate over it and watch the porn and pretend he was watching his train. Yeah. The song... Grandpa. Right? You're gross. Right? The song Kinderfeld off of Antichrist Superstar is actually about this experience. Wow. Yeah. So just in case you ever wondered what that song was about, that's what it was about. Despite the shit show of events that transpired throughout his childhood and teen years, Brian managed to display himself as eloquent and well-adjusted. I mean, to anyone who wasn't scared of rock music, anyway. When he graduated high school, Ohio was pretty much the pits, so his parents decided to move to Florida where the economy was doing much better (laughs) and the winters weren't garbage. In the 70s, 80s, 80s, actually. Um, I guess. I guess. They just wanted, they were older, they wanted to live in the sun. I suppose. It wasn't an easy move for Brian. He just left behind all he knew. So he took this as an opportunity to fully embrace the artist he wanted to be. He enrolled in college to work on a journalism degree and even took a few theater classes. He got the opportunity to mix his two loves, writing and music, when he got a job as a writer for the magazine 25th Parallel. He was good at what he did and managed to land interviews with local and upcoming musicians, including none other than Trent Reznor, whom he developed an immediate rapport with. Oh, wait, is Trent Reznor from Florida? No, but he was touring at the time. Gotcha. And because he was like a smaller artist, it was easier for 25th Parallel to land an interview with him because he was on a tour. Fuck, I forgot he was, he was, he was supporting somebody and I, I, it's going to drive me crazy because I don't remember who, but he was supporting somebody. Manson managed to get an interview and just to me, it was like this cool, this guy's cool shit. I want to be his friend. Well, I didn't know that they had been friends for so long. Oh, yes. Their relationship goes deep. As he continued to write for 25th Parallel, the idea of getting into music himself planted firmly in his brain. And once he met Scott Pateski, this idea would take root and grow. Scott really enjoyed Brian's poetry and felt that they made great lyrics. 
as he was a guitar player, he proposed they start a band. They got a bassist in Brian Tetonek and formed Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids. The spooky Kids. The spooky Ooh, the Kids. Spooky Kids. Ooh, they're so spooky. Ooh, they're so spooky. Ooh, spooks. We're gonna scare all the normies with Spooky Kids. We <laughs> get their big pants and wear lipstick and they scare all the normies. They weren't wearing big pants back then. No, it wasn't time yet. What what year was this? Like eighty nine, ninety. Hmm. Early 90s. I don't know what pants they were wearing. Hammer pants. <laughs> yes. Yep. They were wearing hammer, hammer pants. pants. Brian, as we all know, is the titular Marilyn Manson. But he wasn't the only one who took on an alter ego. Scott became Daisy Berkowitz, a mix of Daisy Duke and David Berkowitz. Oh. And Brian T. became Olivia Newton-Bundy. Olivia Newton-John <laughs> meets Ted Bundy. <laughs> that. That's not very creative. Oh, none of these. I wouldn't call it many of these creative. <laughs> no. I mean, not subtle at all. No. Well, and so here's the reason. You may be wondering, what's the deal with these names? Mm. Well, the guys decided to make a statement on society by taking the first name of a female sex symbol and combining it with that of a serial killer, mixing good with evil to show how the media treats one in the same as the other. Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson are both iconic people who have been on the cover of Time magazine and the, making the statement of saying, hey, look, we treat these guys, even though they are completely opposite ends of the spectrum, like they're the same mm -hmm. and that they should be just kind of worshipped in a way. Olivia Newton-Bundy wasn't a very good fit with the band, though, so maybe that name was just foretelling. <laughs> I don't know. So he left and made room for Brad Stewart to come in and take on the name Gidget Gein, which is a combination of Surfer Girl Gidget and Ed Gein. Okay, I, I like that one. Gidget that one's Gein. a little bit You like the alliteration, subtle. don't you? I do, Marilyn but... Marilyn Manson, it... Gidget Gein. Daisy no, Berkowitz mean... actually sounds like David Berkowitz. Do you just like when they're a little like Olivia Newton-Bundy? You're like, this is dumb. No, I think it's because I don't care about Olivia Newton-John very much and Ted Bundy's not my favorite serial killer. I don't but... know who... Who thinks that Ted Bundy is the best serial killer? You could just... You're wrong. You're wrong. Huh? He's not. He's kind of the worst. Yeah. But anyway, I like Gidget. Right. And I like Ed Gein. Okay. And by like, I mean... Fascinated I'm, by. I'm fascinated yeah, by him. Yeah, we should definitely, <laughs> like... I should differentiate Yeah, here. I mean, like, we're not saying, like, serial killers are cool. We're just yeah. saying, like, who fascinates us? Like... Exactly. Like, Jeffrey Dahmer is the one that fascinates me the most. Yeah. So Ed Gein is probably... Ed Kemper is the one that fascinates oh, that's right, me Ed the most. Kemper. But if we were to make our own names, we already have our last names picked because you'd be Kemper, uh -huh. I'd be Dahmer. But like what female sex symbol? Um, oh, I'd have to think about that. We'll be we'll get we'll get we'll back, get back on that to one. In addition to being just a really talented bassist in general, uh, Gidget actually would be the one to influence Manson's iconic fashion and makeup. Because he was the one who came on already sporting that stuff. Manson wasn't really doing that at first. Yeah. From here on out, expect everyone to be called by their stage name, especially Manson. Because as their popularity increased, the more he insisted on being known only as Marilyn Manson. Hmm. Mr. Manson, namely. He legit would yell at people for calling him Brian. Or just <laughs> wouldn't Mr. even Manson respond. To he you. wouldn't even respond. He would just either ignore them or just say, it's Mr. Manson. If you're going to address me, Mr. Manson. Huh. Before they even had any songs written, Manson wrote about his own band in 25th Parallel in order to build up hype, 
And no one could call him out on it, though, because they had the alternative stage names. So nobody had any nobody idea knew. that it was his own band that he was writing about. That's a little bit of nepotism. Oh, it's 100% a nepotism. But also, like, good for you. You know, I use you your opportunities. You figured it out. I don't good have that kind of... I would feel too guilty. Yeah. So good for you for doing it. The whole time I'd be like, I'm never going to pull this off. I don't know what I'm doing. They're all going to know. They're all going to laugh at you. I don't know what They're I'm doing. They're all going to laugh at us. They managed to land a few local gigs, and the first few shows were rough, as Manson didn't have any idea how to perform on stage. Oh. He stood really still for a while, and like they were just beginning to dabble in the effects that they're going to become well-known for, mm-hmm. so it was kind of a mess at first. Oh, I can like, see he, that, though. He wanted to be out there, but he was still a little nervous. It's yeah. fine. He was a scared little goth boy. Oh. This tall, lanky little yeah. boy, just like yeah. I don't know with this long mean. hair, just like not quite Marilyn Manson yet, so he didn't have the makeup or the costume, just in there or like, the swagger. He of didn't the- have the Manson swagger yet. <laughs> oh, he's still Brian Swagger in a little bit. Yeah, but the lyrics were cleverly craft- crafted, and the music was good. Even though they didn't have a drummer, they used a drum machine for a few years. Hmm. Okay. This- the Spooky Kids stepped up their stage production and managed to make themselves a popular staple in the local music scene. Good for them. Like I said, Gidget brought the style to the band, and he and Manson began cross-dressing for shows. And I think this probably helped Manson to develop more confidence on stage, too, just being, like, a completely different person. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, they began the shtick in their shows where they would fill lunchboxes with items and just set the set it on fire on stage. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was pretty cute, actually. Just, like, takes a little bit of lunchbox instead of fire. Be like, burn, box, burn! Ooh, burn, little lunchboxes! <laughs> spooky kids. Spooky! Set our lunchboxes on kids. fire! Spooky kids set lunchboxes on fire! <laughs> Come oh. to our show and light our box on fire! Ooh. Come on, baby, light my box! <laughs> They enjoyed taking good and evil on stage with them. They wanted to take their beloved cartoons of their childhood and just turn them into nightmares. It was Lucifer meets lunchboxes. <laughs> it was Lucifer meets lunchboxes. Lucifer in this- a lunchbox is a good band name. Oh my god. Lucifer in a lunchbox. Don't steal that. TM TM. <laughs> but the crowds ate it right up. They loved it. They had never seen anything like this before because it's like making a nursery rhyme evil. They're just taking these things from that you're that's familiar to you, like Mickey Mouse, but like making it really fucking creepy and unsettling. Yeah. It's like when I discovered creepy pastas. Yeah. And at first like you're like, "Oh, oh wow, this is really cool and different." But then after you've read about 50, you're like, "All right, I'm kind of over it. I'm done with this. this I'm kind of done with this. this creepy pastas aren't really yeah, like, like dog teeth freaked me out, like, you know, when I read it, but now it's been four years and it doesn't freak me out anymore. <laughs> and much like our favorite, King Diamond, they would get pretty extreme with some of these antics and even once filled a pinata with raw meat and beat it on stage, covering the audience in gore. That's not as good as filling a plastic bag full of pig's blood and stabbing it on stage. No. But you know what? Good job. Good also, for you. Creative. Also- Points for creativity. I would say maybe a little, like, less getting everywhere because it's just raw meat. Yeah, it's not blood. It's not, like, super stinky. I mean, you'll probably still get a little blood and a little stink, but... And you know what? If you light the lunchbox on fire, you can make hamburgers when you're done. Oh, shit. That sounds delicious. That's... That's that's smart. You know what? That's smart. 
they're they're like, we don't have a lot of money. We can't waste this meat. We're going to beat this pinata filled with meat, but then we're going to cook the meat yeah. and then everybody gets to have a barbecue afterwards. That's probably the real w- reason why they set lunchboxes on fire is because they were hungry. They just wanted to make Good for burgers. them. Good for them. They're Starving in- artists. They know how to do it right. Literally starving artists. <laughs> Literally. Oh. <laughs> you see how skinny Manson was? <laughs> yeah, they were starving. They were doing concerts and releasing self-produced cassettes and one day finally managed to catch the attention of someone they've crossed paths with before. Mm. Was it somebody who rhymes with uh, Bet Fesner? Brent Tesner? No, that's bad. <laughs> no, that was bad. It's, it's Trent Reznor, right? It was Trent Reznor. Okay, yeah. Who wanted them to join his newly formed Nothing Records, which was a division of Interscope, Interscope. Records. I knew that. I know you knew that. But, like, the listener <laughs> might not know that. I'm mostly talking for them. You're just here for funnies. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> You're for- here for the lols. I'm here for the side jokes. Ladies and gentlemen, side jokes, Ashley. <laughs> Ooh. That's a good one. Is that, that my your Is that name? my DJ name? That's your side jokes, Ashley. Yep. I like it. No, it's a better burlesque name. But, a, but you're never going to do burlesque. burlesque. I'm not going to do that. I know. <laughs> By this time, they decided to shorten the name to just Marilyn Manson out of convenience and maybe a little ego on Manson's part. But also the spooky kids is so cheesy. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't have made it past 95. No, I mean, once you stop burning lunchboxes on stage, the spooky kids just become irrelevant. They're just kids now. They're just kids. Or they're just the spooky. <laughs> They are the spooky. They are the spooky. Oh my god, they should have been called the spooky. That's a great band name <laughs> the too. Spooky. That's so cute. Yeah, that's real cute. That's like that's like a kid's pop band name. Aww. The spooky. <laughs> the spookies. Oh my god. Anyway, right. They also managed to add two new members to the band. Keyboardist Stephen Beer, aka Madonna Wayne Gacy. Obviously Madonna meets John Wayne uh, Gacy. Yeah. Which I don't like that one either. Yeah. I'm going with you. Drummer Fred Streithorst, a.k.a. Sarah Lee Lucas. I like that one. Sarah Lee Baked Goods meets Henry Lee Lucas. That one's pretty funny. But that works. Because it, works on so many levels. It just works on so many levels, too. Because yeah. you're like, Sarah Lee Lucas, yeah. Henry Lee Lucas. It works. Yep. That's how you do it. That's smart. That's a smart name. That's clever. Good, Good job. Good for you. Good for you, Sarah Lee Lucas. With all the cards in their hands... They went into that studio in 1993 alongside Swan's producer, Roly Mossaman, to create the Manson Family album, the first version of their debut album. I say first version because it was kind of garbage. (laughs) I shouldn't even say garbage. The production quality was actually too polished, really deviating from the sound that Manson wanted. And everyone, including Trent Reznor, was pretty disappointed with that result because they wanted... The raw. The dirty. Dirty sound. Yeah. And he cleaned it all up and they're like, that's not us though. Yeah. That's not what people are going to get. The band was lucky to have the support of someone like Trent behind them who didn't want to release a subpar album. He wanted something worthy of their talents. So he agreed to bring them back into the studio to try it again. Because at one time, Trent knew what the fuck was up. I I say at one time. Because he gave the seal of approval to Miley Cyrus's covers of Nine Inch Nails songs yeah, it's for Black take Mirror. Me a while to forgive and him I'm, for that. I'm not inclined to ever forgive him for that, but we'll see. We'll see what he does. We'll see what he does. We'll see what he does. Looking at you, Trent. Balls in your court. Take you to the fucking hole and shit. She might. I've seen her do it. 
but this isn't before some lineup changes due to a familiar face that we haven't discussed in a surprisingly long time. Oh? But we'll find out whose face that is after we have a beer break. Okay. And we back. Hi. Yeah. So who are we talking about? Oh, oh. not really a who, but what. What are we talking about? Mm. Our old friend. Yeah? Hello, darkness, our old friend. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Get ready. Finally, Marilyn Manson was being noticed for the potential they had, but internally, there were issues to be found, specifically with Gidget, who had an ever-growing heroin problem. Hello, darkness, my, my old friends. <laughs> but honestly, I've, I have read that. I'm like, we, we haven't, haven't talked, talked about to... heroin in so long. I know. It's been a minute, heroin. How you been? You know what? Never good to see you. But no. thanks for coming. All right. Thanks for coming Prom- to the table. Promptly, the story. Promptly get the fuck out. <laughs> right? But you know. Stop doing heroin. But stop doing heroin. Honestly, though, because oof. Come on, Gidget. You're the first one with a good name. Really? I mean, Marilyn Manson's not a bad name. It's not and a Daisy bad name. Berkowitz is good too. Yeah, but like, I Gidget like, Gein was good. I like Gidget Gein. Yeah, that that alliteration. Well, don't get attached, because his performances <laughs> had become very sloppy when he managed to even show up, and he had been fired a few times due to his unprofessionalism. But it was the fourth overdose scare that finally, huh? yeah, the fourth overdose what? scare that was huh? the final straw for Manson. <laughs> the fourth one was yeah. the final straw. Yeah, yeah. Tolerant motherfucker. Yep. <laughs> yes, seriously. I would be like, after the first, I would be like, but you know what? I don't need you in my life. I don't need you in my life. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. So they fired Gidget right before Christmas 93 while he was in rehab, which is shitty, but also fourth heroin overdose. Wait, while he was in rehab? Yeah. I mean. But they had work to do. But also, this is a... a- this is the same story we've heard a million times. Yeah. So. And I mean, arguably they hadn't even put out their debut yet. Because right. they were still working on it. Jeez. Jeez. You couldn't even wait till you, you had like a success. Famous? Seriously. You, just, you're, just, you're supposed to wait until you're already you famous to, get, way too to early. get the heroin problem. Because then you can actually afford the heroin. Right now you're just putting yourself in debt. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Not great. The relationship would be understandably hot and cold after that. But sometimes Gidget would work with Manson, and sometimes he would sue Manson for royalties to earlier songs. Oh. It was a lot of hot and cold. I mean, okay. The moral of the story here, kids, is don't do heroin. Just stop. Brad Stewart died in 2008 from a supposed overdose in his home. That sucks. Yeah. That fucking sucks. So don't do heroin. Hi, heroin. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Kindly close the door. And let let the door you know hit what? you where the good Lord said, you shit out of here now. You can Paul Simon and Art Gar- Garfunkel, Garfunkel your ass out of here. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. So as it leaves, it's kind of, goodbye, darkness, my old friend. Yes. We'll probably see you in an episode or two. Yep. Honestly. Probably, yeah. Yeah, probably. However, I was just jumping way too far into the timeline, because we need to go back to 1990s. Marilyn Manson wasn't even a household name yet, and they needed a new bassist before they created their true debut. Enter fellow Florida musician and friend 
Jordy White, who took over under the stage name a Twiggy Ramirez after the model Twiggy plus Richard Ramirez. And here's where Ashley comes in with Twiggy Facts. Twiggy Facts. Twiggy's a piece of shit. I don't like him. <laughs> facts. Facts. Twiggy's not a great person. He really isn't. But like, seriously. But there's a reason. I- really? Richard Ramirez? Mm. Telling. Kinda, yeah. Because recently he was accused of um, raping his former girlfriend, Jessica Adams, from Jack Off Jill. Yeah. And I'm inclined to believe her. Yeah. No, 100%. listen to victims. Yeah. Because she wouldn't put all of this shit out there if... And and Twiggy's just, like, a questionable person who's done questionable things. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure his entire life is just a giant question mark with, <laughs> with preceded by a, really? Should I say instead of Twiggy Ramirez, I should say Twiggy Ramirez? <laughs> Twiggy Ramirez? That's, that's how I should say Jordy that Jordy White? Maybe? <laughs> Twiggy? Um, but yeah. So his apology it was just i'm sorry if i hurt anyone i'm gonna take some time now to hang out with my family and friends but before he even said that oh, he goes what? this was something that was just now brought to my attention that happened over 20 years ago like that fucking negates any legitimacy like yeah. who cares if it was 20 years ago if you did it who cares have a talk like, time to have a talk and now is the time when women actually feel comfortable coming out with this kind of stuff. So yeah. who gives a shit if it was 20 years ago? She finally wants to talk about it. She has the right to talk about it. And maybe instead of saying even anything publicly, go to her and say, hey, let's have a conversation about this. Yeah. I mean, if you are if you truly feel like you didn't do anything wrong and this is news to you, instead of like calling her out and telling her everybody she's a fucking and, liar. And kind of trying to say, well, this happened 20 years ago. Why is she talking about it now? Like... Instead of saying it that way, actually have a conversation yeah. and actually sound remorse- remorseful. Yeah. Even if you think you didn't do anything wrong. I'm sorry if is never a good way to yeah. start an apology. Yeah, because it means that, you're not actually sorry. It means you're not sorry and it means you don't believe the person who is, you know, saying you did this. Yeah. So Twiggy facts. He's a jerk. So Twiggy can fuck off. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And so, the newly formed Marilyn Manson entered the studio with Trent Reznor to re-record and reproduce their work. When Interscope looked at the final product, they were hesitant to release it with all the Charles Manson references and possible anti-Semitism that they thought could be read into it. Mm-hmm. But then they looked at it like, maybe not, I don't know. The band refused to change anything and decided to look for another label to release the album. This was apparently enough of a threat to get Interscope to give them the okay, though. Huh. In July 94, they released Portrait of an American Family. Uh-huh. It was critically well-received, but the label wasn't super into promoting it, so the band was going to have to tour their asses off to give it the satellite boost it needed. And woo boy, did they hit the ground running with their controversy. Yep. And one Florida show, Manson was arrested for donning a dildo and jerking it off, which broke some kind of decency rule, apparently. It's Florida. Yeah. I mean... I've heard of worse <laughs> coming Honestly. out of Florida. Yeah. He also slipped on a bottle one night and was so mad that he broke it and began to cut his own chest open and thus began his onstage self-mutilation. I do remember hearing these stories after Antichrist Superstar yep. came out and everyone was like, oh my God, he's so crazy. Yeah. 
And I mean, like, one time they had a live chicken on stage, and I guess, like, somebody accidentally like, ran, to, ran into the cage that it was in. And, like, that's where everybody thought, like, oh, they're sacrificing animals on stage. It's like, no, somebody brought a chicken and they thought it'd be funny to have it on stage because they're dumb kids. Yeah, but also don't bring live animals on stage. No, don't. Don't Don't do do it. I 100% agree with that. But it just wasn't what people thought it was either. Yeah. You know, he wasn't eating the head off the chicken or anything. The chicken was still alive at the end of the show. Yeah. Probably really fucking scarred. Don't do it. But wasn't eaten. (laughs) So there you go. At some point while opening for Nine Inch Nails... Manson had the chance to meet someone he looked up to. Again, visiting Is church... it Gene Simmons? Don't tell me it's Gene it's Simmons. It's not Gene Simmons. Okay, thank you. As far as I know, I mean, he's probably met Gene Simmons, but there's nothing of note about that. Hopefully he kicked him in the balls. Maybe. He met the Church of Satan founder himself, Anton LaVey. Oh, yeah. that's nice. They became friends and LaVey made Manson a reverend in the church. He downplays it now. He's just saying it was a title, not a job, which is fair, but also, he did refer to himself as Reverend Marilyn Manson in the liner notes of their next album, so I think he was also really down with it, too. As you should be. Like, it's it's not like, ooh, yeah. you're a devil worshiper. It's just... Yeah. I mean, I guess at the Satanism time, maybe... Satanism is fun. It's a good time. It's a good time. Good time for all involved. Satanists are good people. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Manson was gaining notoriety everywhere, and soon fans were becoming obsessed with his new industrial goth metal band... Some fans were carving his name into their bodies. Underage girls were sending nude photos asking him to take their virginity. It was kind of becoming a cult. It was really freaking them out. That's kind of weird. Yeah. That was super weird. Like, they started to feel really uncomfortable after a little bit. Also, I wouldn't want Marilyn Manson to take my virginity. No. Also, even in high school. I I wouldn't really want him to touch me. He looked dirty. He oh, seemed, he is. He just seemed like he smelled he says and he, had no, no good he hygiene. Has said, he says in interviews that he doesn't really shower. Sometimes he'll do like the yeah. undercarriage. What is that called? Like the undercarriage bath where you just wipe down like your pits and your groin and that's it. That's disgusting. Yeah. If you're wondering if Marilyn Manson smells. Oh, he does. He looks like he smells. He does. But also. Good news. He does. Guys. Hygiene is where it's at. Like legitimately. Hygiene is extremely important. Yeah. You should probably shower every day. Yeah. And girls really like it when you do that. Yeah. Like, really like it when where, you do that. Where it's at. I got two loofahs and a bar of soap. Yes. <laughs> yes. You don't need two loofahs. One's fine. <laughs> but you do just need some body wash. And, yeah, just, and, just and clean and yourself. One, one loofah's fine. Yeah. One is but fine. Just, even just soap I'm fine with. Like, they always do on tour... Tensions rose, and drummer Sarah Lee Lucas was getting sick of Manson's ever-growing antics. Oh, no, but they have a really good name. I know. One night, nearing the end of the tour, Manson lit Lucas's drum on fire. He claims he only (laughs) meant to burn the bass drum, but the whole thing went up in smoke. (laughs) Well, I only meant to burn one part of it. Well, Lucas was done after that. He, As like, he should be. I think there were like a couple shows left and he was like, nah, I'm out. I can't. Well, he, he can't drum anymore anyway. On fire. <laughs> he doesn't have drums anymore. You yeah. can't drum on ashes. It doesn't sound the same. Drum on ashes. That sounds like a good album That's a good... name. That's a good album name. Drum yep. on ashes. What was our uh, Lucifer and Lucifer Lunchbox? Lunchbox. Our debut album's coming out. Drum on ashes. There we go. Oh my God. Perfect. So good. Perfect. Afterwards, he was replaced with Kenneth Wilson, a.k.a. Ginger Fish, a combination of Ginger Rogers and Albert Albert Fish. Fish. You know what's funny? Reading all these, I knew the serial killers didn't know. (laughs) 
didn't, didn't know, know the, the, like, the, the women. sexy women. I was like, what does this say about me as a person? Honestly, it didn't even occur to me that Twiggy Ramirez was... Twiggy the model? Twiggy the model. That's and fair. Richard Ramirez? Richard Ramirez. I kept wanting to call him George Ramirez. That's not right. No, that's not right. It's not right. Man, it's really easy to fuck up names, isn't it? Yeah. Soon after, they were back in the studio to work on what was supposed to be B-sides for Portrait, but turned into the EP Smells Like Children. I gotta tell you, Smells Like Children isn't great. I'm sorry if you really like this album. I couldn't really get into it. It's got some hits, but it's for, for me, mostly misses. With a lot on an album that was clearly there to push the buttons of conservatives and paint Manson as the modern-day boogeyman. But for what it's worth, their cover of Sweet Dreams which is on the album, is what finally got this band noticed by the mainstream. The video made it to heavy rotation on MTV and got kids everywhere curious about this gender-bending anarchist. Yeah, I remember seeing this Mm. on MTV for the first time and just being like, what? Yeah, I mean, we weren't used to this stuff. Yeah, no. And I was like, this is so weird, but yet I have a very strong reaction positive reaction yeah, yeah. to it i'm i'm intrigued and into this like finally something fucking weird yeah. and i like it it tickles the art person bone inside you yeah it's, it's, it was all about the visuals yeah it wasn't the visuals even a, are very interesting it wasn't even about the song like i i knew that it was the a eurythmics. cover of the eurythmic song but mm-hmm. it was the visuals that struck me oh yeah it, it was that creepy gothy dirty it's lighting yeah yeah and i really like that as a kid yeah no i'm i'm on board with that 100 percent. it's like this isn't mariah carey what is going on it's not filmed on like some like gloss lens this is just gross he probably doesn't shower <laughs> he doesn't though he doesn't though gross. mean it he doesn't <laughs> This would all be the crumbs along the pathway leading the world to Marilyn Manson's rise to fame with their hit album, Antichrist Superstar. Yes. Yep. 96, which I didn't realize it was that early. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. If you thought an album this crucial to someone's career was easy to make, you'd be wrong. It was rampant with poor choices of experimentation, drug use, sleep deprivation, creation of a hostile working environment, all for the ambiance of the album's content. This, yeah, that all makes sense. It makes sense that this album was recorded in that kind of environment. Oh, absolutely. Yep. yep. They purposely would do all of this drug experimentation, stay up, drive each other crazy, just because just- they wanted to see how dark they can make the album yeah this would spell the end of a few relationships as well though firstly being daisy berkowitz who felt he was being outcast by the entire group from being literally locked out of recording sessions to having his gear destroyed man to be outcast by the outcasts right that's That's... sad fuck that man yeah you're better than that he left the band halfway through recording and to replace the loss of daisy they got a new guitarist, Timothy Linton, a.k.a. Zimzum, because this kid decided to break the seven-year tradition and name himself after the Kabbalistic concept of Zimzum, which is spelled T-Z-I-M-T-Z-U-M. Okay. White people like, taking cultures, that's not theirs. Like like Madonna Kabbalah? Yeah. Huh. 
Madonna Kabbalah? Madonna Kabbalah? Why didn't yeah. you use that for your fucking name? Madonna Kabbalah. <laughs> I mean, you may that as well. Been, that would have been way cooler, actually, than Zimzum. You know what? His name's Madonna Kabbalah now. <laughs> Zimzum, we've renamed you. You're Madonna Kabbalah now. It's way cooler than what you came up with. Yeah, it is. Bro. Or I wouldn't say come up with so much as stole. Yeah. Come for me. But one of the most notable fallouts for Manson would be that of him and Trent Reznor. Trent was co-producing this album as well, but had a different idea of where he wanted the album to go, which ended in the two constantly butting heads. Even outside of the studio, the two didn't see eye to eye. Both were envelope pushers, but Trent is quite subtle, where Manson is pretty in your face about the whole thing. And as Manson was getting deeper into drug use, Trent was trying to get sober, or so my timelines were leading me to believe, because... After he toured with Bowie for a little bit in the mid-90s... Bowie got him to go well, sober, he, right? Well, he didn't get him to go sober so just much. Like, it just was like an influence on Trent to be yeah. like... He, like a year after their tour, he hit a really fucking bad low. So I think this was one of the first times he tried to get sober. Yeah. He's been totally clean since 2011, but I think this was a, the late night... Mid to late 90s was the first time Trent was like, I'm going to get sober. Yeah. So being around a drug user like Marilyn Manson, who was balls deep in the drug use when you're like i don't know if i want to keep doing this yeah and actually if he's saying he hit a low point he might have hit a low point right fucking here this might have been that point because Thanks, it was a Marilyn fucking slog of a life to <laughs> yeah. live right now yeah after production for antichrist superstar their relationship deflated a couple years later they would reconcile for a time when manson did that surprise appearance in the star fuckers video and then they did a few shows together but it wouldn't last uh-huh because Manson couldn't quit the booze and drugs, and Trent felt like he became a dopey clown mm. and hoped that he would get his shit together because he used to be the smartest man in the room. Yeah. Because basically Manson got to a point where he blamed everybody else for the reason his music wasn't selling as well. No. I mean... And Trent's like, come on, man. Yeah. It's you. Stop <laughs> drinking and drugging. The The most common denominator here is you. So It's not even the rest of your band members, because they keep fucking dropping like flies. Yep. However, after time has healed some wounds, and both men have grown up through a lot of life, they seem to have softened a bit and have expressed an interest in working together again. So, we might be treated to that duo once more. In the near to later future. But I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead again, because it's easy to do that in the story. Antichrist Superstar comes out, and it's a hit. It's a concept album, sort of rock opera style, about a boy who was born into a simple life but becomes a demagogic rock star sent to initiate the apocalypse. Oh. Does this sound familiar? Does also it? coming out not too long after that was his autobiography. So, well, there you it go. Kind of, kind of, kind of fits. Yeah. What I never realized, as someone who wasn't super into Manson, is that this is all part of a trilogy. With the following release, Mechanical Animals, being the second installation, in this album we see a dramatic shift from the industrial metal sound to more glam rock, almost kind of mainstreaming themselves, but it's still that shock rock that we come to expect from him. Yeah, I remember everybody getting, again, their panties in a wad. There's so many wads in these panties. So many wads. So many panties. So many wads. Um, <laughs> but everybody was getting their, their underwear in a bunch because everyone was kind of pissed that he was going this glam rock route. Right. And everyone was like, where is this disgusting weirdo from Antichrist Superstar? He's wearing like 
flashy sequins and, and colors and, and colors and he's not goth and well this is bad it's like no he's probably just trying to do something and we just don't get it right and what he was doing was making a sequel right but i don't think he told anybody that it was i don't, a I don't know i don't second remember second installment i don't remember i, ge- I genuinely don't <laughs> me either well and you know what though the thing that you need to take note of too and that really explains it is he was heavily influenced by David Bowie. He was really going for that Ziggy Stardust glam thing. Yeah, like real hard. Yeah, and David Bowie was the king of alternate egos, so... But I feel like this time he was also trying to go for that androgynous thing. Like Bowie. Like Bowie was doing. Of course, I think he was heavily influenced by Bowie. Um, Ziggy Stardust, Low, Uh you know, a lot of those albums back in the 70s. Yep. Very much so. And as it turns out, Billy Corgan was an unofficial consultant for them. Oh, Billy Corgan. Where the fuck are my car keys? (laughs) He told them that glam was the way to go. And for what it's worth, he was right. Interscope was so on the Marilyn Manson train at this point that they promoted the hell out of this album. And maybe there was a part of it that was just they knew would be more accessible to a larger crowd. Mm Mm-hmm. You kind of got some of the poppier kids with this. I remember some kids who were, like, not into Manson, but were like, Dope Show's a pretty cool song, though. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't recall anybody in the quote-unquote popular group enjoying Marilyn Manson or actively listening to it, but then again, I don't fucking remember. (laughs) I don't remember. I don't know. I do remember a couple was... kids being like, like, seeing them be like, no, man, that, that Marilyn Manson video is kind of cool. Yeah. Like and the... like, these are kids I'm like, you. And I was like, I don't think you listen to Manson. I think it just made it more palatable it was to just them. on MTV a lot. So you got used to it. Yeah. I guess. That's true, too. And he, he doesn't look dirty. See, hygiene counts. Ooh, hygiene does count, hygiene though. Counts. There you go. <laughs> and now we're at peak Manson. Mm. Mechanical Animals debuts at number one. They're winning awards for music videos, and shows are selling like hotcakes. And Marilyn Manson goes to the MTV Movie Awards with a basically naked Rose McGowan. Which, and like, you know what? Good for her. Abraham Lincoln. Yup. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Schwing. Schwing. Good for her. She mm. looked great. Oh my god. She girls still look good. She does. Yeah. Not gonna lie, she does. Yeah. If I could look like any celebrity lady, it'd probably be Rose McGowan. She's babe. If you were around in 1999, you remember Marilyn Manson being everywhere, either being praised or lauded for pretty much the same things. So regular people were like, oh my god, he's so edgy. Or, oh my god, he's so edgy. <laughs> You're like, I don't know how to feel. I'm just 15. He's tingling my delicate sensibilities. Or he's tingling, tingling my, my delicate, delicate sensibilities. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. So you know what makes sense? You know what makes sense? What makes sense? Go on tour with another famous glam rock band. Uh, uh. Thus we get the Beautiful Monsters Tour, Ugh. which they shared with the band Hole. Oh, yep. Speaking of holes. <laughs> and I'm sure this is going to go great, right? This is going to be yeah, such I a mean, good tour. Yeah, I mean, Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love 
in a room together. You know, I get Courtney Love in a room with anybody. Honestly. It'll be great. She'll great find a idea. reason. She'll find a reason. She'll find a reason. I mean, no way that these two front peoples full of outlandish outbursts will come to blows, right? And full of drugs, too. Oh, no. Nah. Oh, wasn't this one of the times that Courtney was like, I'm trying to get sober? I don't know. She says it a lot. And then it's kicked her true. drummer out for doing cocaine or something. <laughs> Wasn't that was well before this, wasn't it? I don't know. Courtney loves an asshole. I feel like that was well speaking before. Speaking of holes, speaking of holes, <laughs> Courtney Love <laughs> just she's just a hole. She's not even an asshole. She's just a hole. Is that why that's their name? I don't know. She's just awful. Ugh. She's the worst. However, you know what? These days, she's just kind of entertaining. Is she? She is. All right. Like I still don't like her, and somebody needs to take social media away from her but she's entertaining and she's still trying i you know what i nine times out of ten say trying counts oh no not this This is where this is where i stop that this is one time where you should probably just not try so hard stop stop (laughs) stop only nine of the scheduled 40 dates occurred as planned (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> this the, the this tour, yeah, yeah. The tour was fraught with arguments. No, Manson made what? some. So Manson made some disparaging remarks about Courtney Love's autobiography a couple years prior, saying that she wouldn't talk to him until he was famous. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah that, checks, that checks. Yeah, and then she would keep referring to Manson as Brian in interviews, which that is a surefire oh. way to piss Manson off. Oh boy, yeah. So she was mad at him for talking about her in his book, and then he was mad at her for calling him Brian in interviews. It's really fucking juvenile. It is probably the most juvenile-ass bullshit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, because it's Courtney Love. Right. And, and you know what? Manson to an extent. I don't yeah. even got to say Manson to an extent. Yeah. He's a little diva-ish, too. I'm sure he didn't do anything to de-escalate any oh, situation. He was like, mm, I'm just going to eat all this mm. drama right up. Mm, drama morsels. Throw on top of that, Manson tricking Hole into paying for their production costs. See, they were going 50-50, but Manson's production costs were way more than Hole's. Hole. (laughs) Was he just like, can you guys like spot me a few hundred thousand and I'll get you later? And then just like ran out of the venue. What was that band? Monster... Monster Magnet. Monster Magnet was on that tour with them, uh, and Hole refused to pay for Monster Magnet, well, even though Courtney needed the most ridiculous, like, expensive chef. I'm pretty sure that everybody refused to pay for Monster yeah, Magnet. Yeah, I mean, you should, though. You should. That's another story for another day. It is. But then, so, like, Marilyn Manson's band was like, well, we'll pay for Monster Magnet. So I think they felt justified in asking to split the cost despite their production being higher, because they were like, we'll pay for Monster Magnet. It's fucking Mo- it's ridiculous. Monster Magnet. <laughs> I mean, I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm not. One night, Courtney jumped on Manson's back during one of their sets. So, yep. just because she is, was mad at him. This is typical Courtney love. And let's just, like, compare the fact that these two have very, very different types of fans. The fucking brains behind this show. Whole fans are going to be, like, angry women... Like, not a lot of dudes, some dudes, and I think Manson fans are going to have some, like, grunge dudes, maybe, but not even, because most people hated Courtney at this point because of Kurt. Yeah. So, like, 
Hole was fans, struggling at this point, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, a little bit. Because this is like, I think they, no, they had just released. Live Through This? Nope, the one before it. So make me over, burner, burner. Oh no, bra- Celebrity Skin was well after Live Through This. Live Through This came out the same year that Kurt died, which oh, was Oh, okay, 94. no, I'm sorry. Then it was Celebrity Skin after. I don't fucking okay. know Hole's discography. And I'm okay with that. Celebrity Skin came out in the late 90s? Yeah, so Celebrity Skin and Mechanical Animals both just came out. Okay. And that's why it made sense for them to tour together. Because Celebrity Skin did arguably do well. It did. But, like, Hole was grabbing a more mainstream audience. Yeah. Manson still had, like, their scary goth kid audience. Yeah. So, I just want you to think about the types of fans going to this. They weren't going to mesh well. Because Hole gains... A different audience with Celebrity Skin. Mm-hmm. It gained a more mainstream audience. Exactly. And the, like, Lilith Fair audience and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, so. come on, Lilith Fair audience, you're better than that. Yeah, you guys are. We're smarter than that. Mm-hmm. If I was old enough to go to Lilith Fair, I would have. This just, it just wasn't going to work, all right? And after Manson suffered a hairline fracture to his ankle, he had to postpone some dates. And that turned into the perfect chance to end the tour right there. Mm-hmm. So afterwards... The band continues on with Jack Off Jill and Nashville Pussy, opening for them, and renamed it Rock is Dead Tour. Okay. So, Manson's still touring, and they're friends with Jack Off Jill and Nashville Pussy, so they're like, let's just all go together and we'll do our thing. Mm -hmm. And it went well. Great. Up to now, I've only touched upon it briefly, but the Manson shows were a sight to behold. The band had been riling up the Christian right for years now, with their lewd shows, filled with the penchant to cause discomfort if you weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. Religious groups would picket him at any appearance as they viewed him as nihilistic and a force for evil. I mean, yeah, I guess if you've never left a bed before, yeah, that'd terrify <laughs> me too. Yeah. But all of that drama was a total drop in the bucket compared to what would happen in April 1999. Mm-hmm. Columbine High School Massacre oh boy. was the worst mass shooting the U.S. had ever seen up to that point. Students Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold went into their school armed with guns, guns and a bomb and killed 12 students, a teacher, and also injured 21 others before they turned the guns in on themselves. And at this point, we have come to the age of the 24-hour news cycle. Mm-hmm. So... Were there stories which just needed to be on constant rotation all day, every day, and not only did these reporters need something to talk about, each one of them wanted to be the one to give people some answers, even if they didn't have them. Yep. So they made up answers. Guess what answers they were. And they were all wrong. Yeah. All of them were wrong. We were really wrong about Columbine, guys. Manson knew exactly how this was going to go down. The minute he heard, quote, two students wearing Marilyn Manson shirts shot up their school, end quote, it was over. He knew that they had be- he had become their scapegoat. They weren't even wearing Marilyn Manson shirts, were they? No. But remember when they first reported it, they said that they were a part of the trench coat mafia yeah. wearing Marilyn Manson t-shirts. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we got it wrong. This is why we can't have nice things, guys. We got it wrong. This is why we can't have nice things. The problem with this is twofold. Firstly, you can't blame music you don't like for why something terrible happened. It's just plain not true that music could cause something like this. We've seen this throughout fucking history so many times when Black Sabbath got sued because 
somebody killed themselves and their parents were like, mm-hmm. it was because they were listening to Black Sabbath. Or when the two guys made the pact to commit suicide and they because blamed it on Judas, Judas Priest, Priest and they had a whole fucking court battle about that with hidden fucking messages in it. And guess what? It wasn't Judas Priest's fault. It was because they had mental issues that were unchecked and un explored and here we are again doing it again not exploring mental illness issues but saying what music are you listening yeah, to but, but are you listening to to the marilyn manson because like i think he's bad he's telling he he's got some hidden messages and he's telling you to do this no 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 nobody's doing that no nobody's doing that's not how music works like stop it guess what nobody does takes the time to put fucking hidden messages in their music. They're like, it's hard to enough tell to tell you to t- kill people. It's hard enough to fight with people in your band and your producer to get the music you want out anyway. You think yeah. you're going to have time to put like reverse hidden messages? No. And, and do you really think that any self-respecting producer that is hired by the record label to work on your album is going to be like, yeah, let's totally put this message in here that says shoot up your school. Yeah. Nobody's doing that. Well, and they wouldn't even say that it was hidden messages. They were just like, oh, this is like what he encourages. But if you really listen to Manson's lyric, it's like the opposite of what he it's encourages. always the opposite. He's like, man, life's fucking terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Look at how, like, shitty adults treat us and how, like, nobody wants to listen to you or take you seriously. But you know what? I understand you. Yeah. That's pretty much like, man, life's garbage, isn't it? It's kind of what his songs were. Um, And, like, you know, culture's fucked, but whatever. And, like, here's the thing. Said it before. Say it again. Uh, everyone got Columbine wrong. Everyone got Columbine wrong. You know what was wrong? Everything about Columbine. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. The two shooters were not wearing Marilyn Manson shirts. They certainly were not even fans of his. Nope. Because they thought he was, quote, unquote, gay because he dressed like a woman. Yep. Yep. See, Eric and Dylan were not these outcasted teens that were bullied that they were painted as. Actually, one of them was pretty popular wasn't he yeah they were pretty well liked actually if they they were either unknown because they went to a really large school so it's like either kids didn't know them or whoever knew them liked them and they might have even they i think they had like even been kind of not bullies but i feel like big man on campus types yeah i feel like there was one of them was relatively popular and the other one was cr- quiet but well liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they didn't really run with the same groups, but they somehow became friends. Yeah. Because they had the same kind of fucked up ideology. Yeah. That nobody else in the school really shared. Yeah. And that's why they fucking did what they did. Yeah, they wrote manifests and they had fucking like weird things, but it wasn't from Marilyn Manson's music. It wasn't from video games. Yeah. They actually just had guns and would take guns out in the woods and shoot them. Yes. That's how they got good at shooting. They had fucking guns. Yeah. And they had so, easy access to guns. There you go. They they had shit because they had mental problems and easy access to guns. Yes. It's not music. It's not video games. It's not violent movies. It's none of that shit. It's fucking... Everything else that you don't want to blame it on. Yep. But whatever. (laughs) That's me, like, bringing down my rant about Columbine. To sum it up. To sum it up. It wasn't fucking Marilyn Manson. They got it wrong. They got it all wrong. Manson decided the best course of action was to not say anything, even though he really wanted to. Which was probably the best thing he could have done. Yeah, honestly. 
Because anything he said, anything, anything. You know, he's, he is an intelligent man. Like, he knows. Yeah. And he also canceled the last few dates of his tour to be sensitive to the families of the victims. It was about a year, a couple years later, I think it was like, what, 2002, when Michael Moore puts out Bowling for Columbine, mm-hmm. that he had a chance to speak his part. When asked what he would say to the victims, Manson famously replied, quote, I wouldn't say a single word to them. I would listen to what they have to say. And that's what no one did. Exactly. The real irony is that the man everyone is blaming this on is the only one handling this sensibly. The only one who... Not the only one, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, the only one who had enough foresight and wherewithal to be like, did anyone ask the kids how they feel? And, like, and, and this is, like, he had had a few interviews before, but this was where people were starting to see, like, oh, he's really well-spoken he's very intelligent he's articulate yeah he's not Maybe a savage he's not a savage he does smell <laughs> but he's probably not some weird satanic savage yeah that we're painting him as yeah like i think that was his chance to kind of be more like hey and he even sat down with one of the kids from columbine who said i don't blame you at all kid was like i don't even necessarily blame the shooters he's like there's a lot going on wrong like when in a time of crisis, people want to downplay kids. Listen to kids. Kids are in surprisingly smart. No, it's all that dope they're smoking. Despite this setback, Marilyn Manson went back into the studio, and by November 2000, they released their next album, Hollywood, the final installment of this triptych. It's heavily influenced. <laughs> triptych. They call it. Oh. <laughs> I, I went to college for art history, so I. I would see the word triptych all the time, and every time it makes me laugh. Triptych? Triptych. (laughs) I didn't even think about it until I said it out loud. Triptych. (laughs) It's so long, you trip on your dick. It's heavily influenced by the event of the Columbine shootings, of course, and they followed up with Guns, God, and Government Tour. They went hard on the politically charged themes at this point. I mean, how can you not with a tour name like that? Right. Hollywood was generally well-received, but there were mixed feelings on them going back to the darker, more raw sound, like that of Antichrist Superstar, and dropping the glam sound that they just developed. Because mm-hmm. bitches can't get no satisfaction, apparently. God I hate forbid you for going you ex- glam. I hate you for going back to not glam. God forbid people explore different genres of music. Yeah, also people complained about the uh, length of 19 tracks coming in over an hour. Oh, God. I will say it is kind of long. Yeah, that's kind of long. I'm not going to lie. Like, 19 tracks is a lot. Not the hour, just the 19 tracks. It doesn't matter. And look, I'm going to say right here, I really do apologize. I'm not going to go deeper into these albums. There is so much. Like, I'm not even going to lie, though. I do think it's fascinating. I think the way they set it up, I think the fact that it's a triptych, I think... (laughs) I can't say triptych anymore. Every time I hear it, I just, in my head, there's somebody tripping over a dick and it's a dick so long and tripped over it. But I do apologize. I I don't want Manson fans or anybody who's curious to think, oh my God, why wouldn't you even talk about how like seminal it is? Um, Because we are well over an hour. I'm not talking about the trilogy. I would like to do an episode about it. So I might very well do it. So hold on to your butts. I'm thinking about going that way maybe in the next year or so. So I would like to revisit it. There is nothing saying we cannot go back to this. We can always go back. Can always go back. 
Manson would tell you that Columbine ruined his career. And maybe there's some truth to that. The following years of touring were filled with more intense protesting than ever. Even death threats were being sent to him. Bomb threats were made on venues. They spent many nights wondering if they were going to get shot on stage. The irony of Christians saying, I'm going to kill you. Right? Just going to leave that there. But you know who wasn't doing this? Satanists. Mm. You don't say. The Satanists were not threatening to kill anybody. No. Weird. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. That's none of my business. And it may have made many casual fans turn off his music and maybe keep someone home from the concerts because they may have been afraid of the fabricated violence. But he didn't let the detractors stop him from making his music or being controversial on stage and in interviews or from pushing his anti-establishment messaging. By the early 2000s, Manson was having fairly stark creative differences with guitarist Twiggy. So he left the band for a little bit anyway, but dude gonna come back, then he gonna leave again because Just he come, well he went away after the sexual assault, like for that's, good. That is so so he has oh, not yeah. come back since because yeah, yeah, yeah. after he was accused of rape, Manson's like, nah, bro. But Manson also said that he and Twiggy were kind of having creative differences for a well, while. This is, yeah, I mean, this so. is their first creative difference. I think that they're just two strong personalities that tend to butt heads. Yeah, and I, he said that he was having more success creatively with somebody else that he was collaborating right. with. Well, and, like, it just wasn't working with him and Twiggy anymore, so. Yeah, because um, actually who would replace Twiggy was KMFDM instrumentalist Tim Skold, who I believe they worked on the Resident Evil soundtrack together. That's kind of awesome. Right. So you're right. There was a a composer, instrumentalist, who was just, I think, maybe a little bit more what Manson was looking for at this point. With their trilogy complete, it was time to get back into the studio with new creative juices flowing. Manson just started dating girlfriend, future wife, future ex-wife, Dita Von Teese, who became a muse of sorts for him. Yeah. The resulting album is The Golden Age of Grotesque, which is heavily influenced by burlesque, mm-hmm. uh, Q Ashes Eye Roll, whatever, <laughs> swing, and cabaret. It has more of an electronic drive to it in an attempt to not sound like the popular styling of the flavor of the week, new metal. <laughs> oh. So that was good on them. Good, good choice. Honestly. Manson creates many parallels between his work and the quote-unquote degenerate art that was banned from Germany during the time of Hitler's reign. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. I can't can't say it in German. There's like a famous German word for it, and I can't say it, so I didn't write it. I wrote degenerate art. He uses Uh. a stream-of-consciousness type of narrative akin to those of lunatics or children who don't know what the rules are. Funny enough, many argued that the inane lyrics were what stopped the album from being better than what it could have been. It did debut at number one, but on the week of one of the lowest total numbers for Billboard history, as it only sold a thousand more than Hollywood its first week, which debuted at number 13. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Not great. Don't celebrate yet. Yeah. I mean, you can pat yourself like lightly on the shoulder. Yeah. There you go. Manson was still working on his music, but was also taking some time out of his schedule to work on another passion, fine art. Again, I had mentioned earlier he'd always been pretty talented on the canvas, so he decided to make another outlet for himself and opened an art gallery and made um, a book of his paintings. Oh. 
There's, there's, I, it's exactly what you think Manson's art would look like. Okay. Actually, I do believe their greatest hits album, um, from the early 2000s is Manson's art. So there's that. Hmm. At this point, he was branching out in many different directions, already having some experience in film with roles in Lost Highway and Party Monster. He was, I do remember him in Party Party Monster. Monster. Yeah. That was pretty good. He was also dabbling in a screenplay called Phantasmagoria. The Visions of Lewis Carroll. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, are you, are you Phantasma? Are you Goria? What? Fangoria? Fangoria? What are Is, you? What are we doing here? What are you doing? It was in production hell for years until Manson finally said it was damaging his own psyche to write it. So we put it away. Fair enough. All right. Music still came first though. And the Manson releases throughout the 2000s seemed to be heavily based on his relationships. Eat Me, Drink Me in 2007 contained a lot of inspiration from his divorce from Dita Von Tees and growing relationship with Evan Rachel Wood. Also sounds like he was deep into that Lewis Carroll thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Evan Rachel Wood? Yeah. The song yeah. Heart-Shaped Glasses was based on her and takes on a Lolita feel, which checked because Wood was 19 at the time they got I together. I was going to say, she She's was really quite young. young. I'm saying it. Come for me if you want. I don't get it. Evan Her? Rachel Wood. First of all, you went from Rose McGowan to Dita Von Tees, like, babe, babe. Evan Rachel Wood? She just seems so impossibly basic. She was basic until she started dating Marilyn Manson. I still and wouldn't then even she was say like, that that made her more interesting. I'm, I didn't say she was more interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. But she went from a basic lady to I have a goth boyfriend, so I'm going to start wearing fitted suits oh, and black lipstick. Oh, she was that popular girl in school who was like, there's something about the goth boy. Yeah. That's what that was. Yeah. Mm. This I was mean, her deviation at 19. But for me, too, I'm just like, I mean, who he was dating before, it was like, babe, babe. And then I'm like, I guess if you're really into milk toast... But their relationship, unsurprisingly, was fraught with troubles. At one point, Wood left Manson and left him in a dark, dark, dark depression. He spent the week committing self-mutilation, cutting himself somewhere around 158 times. Okay. He trashed his own house and wrote on his walls in either ink or blood. Not sure which? Yeah. And this was throughout um, like Christmas to New Year's. Oh, that's a hard time to begin with. Yeah, so he, yeah, I mean. Yikes. And there's, I think there was, like, a lot of drug use and drinking involved throughout that week, too. It's, yeah. Yikes on bikes. Mm, It's not great. Some of the writings on the walls would become material for the album The High End of Low. At this point, Manson's albums were receiving mixed reviews, with critics missing the shock value of his older stuff. But it was Interscope who received his ire. With Manson saying that CEO Jimmy Iovine wasn't smart enough to realize what they were trying to do. And that's when Trent was like, what the fuck, man? By the end of 2009, they parted ways with the label. After the split of that relationship, Manson started his own label called Hell Etc., operating under parent label Cooking Vinyl. They've released three albums under Hell Etc. It's been Born Villain, The Pale Emperor, and Heaven Upside Down. Marilyn Manson has seen a decent rotation of band members, even names you may recognize, like Carrie King and Wes Borland. Wes Borland. Wes Borland left Marilyn Manson to go back to Lib Biscuit. Oh my god, that so, does not 
I don't say know. good things about your band. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about any of that. But also, I didn't know Limp Bizkit got back together. <laughs> oh, I mean, for a little while in like the mid aughts or whatnot. Oh no. Yeah. And they've had large, impressive tours with Slayer, Alice Cooper, Rob Zombie, Slipknot, and the Smashing Pumpkins. Of course. Hmm. He's had parts in critically acclaimed shows like Sons of Anarchy and created a short film with Shia LaBeouf for a born villain, Shia the Beef. Shia the Beef. He has stayed consistently busy in every facet of entertainment and art. Dude even has his own absinthe. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Which is something I'm still looking for. Yeah. By the way, in New York knows where we can get some sweet absinthe, you tell us. Yeah. I need some. But despite all this... Why is it that Manson doesn't feel relevant like he did before? I'm not saying the guy isn't talented and that millions aren't still really into what he's doing. I'm sure you are. But at this point, he seems like he's already seen his golden years. It seems like he's just kind of singing to nobody. Not to nobody. But not... But more... If mm. if he didn't have his big rise in the late 90s, early 2000s, I don't... He would just be like a cult act. Yes. Some would blame the drugs and alcohol. Manson is totally open about the use, saying drugs keep him healthy and that he can't think without alcohol. It's an interesting take. Also a problem. Yeah. That's when yeah. you... That yeah. is when you have a problem. That's when you have a problem. Ex-bandmate Madonna Wayne Gacy, one of the worst names of the band accused him of breaking his leg on purpose when he ran into a prop on stage back in 2017 so he could get prescription drugs. I mean, he was accusing him, but, like, this is just somebody who knows him having a statement on how bad his drug use is. I mean, I get it, but also, why would you just full-on break your leg? Why wouldn't you just, like, sprain an ankle? I don't know, man. Because Manson's like, crazy. It's not hard to sprain an ankle. But also, but Manson's into the self-mutilation. Yeah, and... Arguably, he was probably on drugs when he did it, so. Mm-hmm. Actually, it could have been inebriation because. It could have been a lot of things. It really could have. At the beginning of February 2018, he got himself in a heap of trouble when he got far too inebriated to perform and ended up walking off the stage after only a few songs. The whole time that he was actually on stage, he wouldn't even look at the crowd and he just would stop singing and ramble incoherently about, like, how I love the crowd and the crowd doesn't love me. And he would, like, turn around and not look at anybody. I mean, and this dude... It was... It's... There's videos of it. It's sad. Yeah. Like, this bro's, guy has a problem. Bro's in his 50s now? Mm-hmm. Late he 50s? Ju- no, early. He just turned 50. Oh, okay. 69. Um... Oh, like wait, here nope. he was born. It's like nope, that yep, nope, nope. Yeah. that doesn't math right. But yeah, no, I mean triptych, <laughs> most inadvertently dirty episode we've had. Yep, but yeah, I mean, you're still, you're still doing that much drugs and alcohol. And yeah, you're, you're doing that much alcohol. <laughs> doing all I'm, the alcohol. I'm doing the alcohol. We're we're certainly doing the alcohols, but I don't think we're doing as much as Manson. It, I, yeah, it doesn't sound like it. I don't think we could afford to. Certainly not. Certainly not. Certainly not. I mean, some have raised the argument, oh, he does it on purpose because that's his like shock value. Now I'm like, no, I don't think a bad performance is a shock value thing anymore. But like, they're like, oh, we'll get some attention. I'm like, mm, I still feel like you want to do your art some justice. Yeah, because that's not getting good attention. That's getting sad and pathetic attention 
Concern. You don't want concern. You want yeah. attention. And he's getting concern now. Yeah. I mean, maybe Manson himself worries about his re- relevancy. How do you go from being the most feared man in America to being America's goth uncle? Goth uncle. He's our goth uncle. Oh. He's Gunkle Manson. Gunkle Manson. Gunkle Manson. (laughs) How can he be expected to shock the masses anymore when we're plagued with mass shootings that outnumber Columbine a few times a year? Yeah. Our government is filled with sexual assaulters. Atheism, or at the very least agnosticism, it's on the rise. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, many have decidedly found Manson to be thoughtful and intelligent. You know what? And I think that this all definitely helps to bring down that veil a little. It but, takes the fear away. But maybe it's it's because all of these things that Marilyn Manson was the antithesis of are completely irrelevant now. Like, people that are our age and younger... A lot of them don't buy into the whole Christianity thing anymore. Exactly. They're thinking outside the box. Yeah. Acceptance is a thing. Yeah. You know, goth I mean, is a thing now. Right. Goth, it's cool to be goth now. Yeah. Like, these things aren't shocking anymore. So what does he have to be shocking about? Yeah. And I mean, arguably, he helped make it right. mainstream. He helped bring it to, like, people like us that when we grew up, we weren't going to... Be like, oh, no, Satan. We were like, oh, okay, he's just yeah. different. That's fine. But now that he's helped to make it ex- um, acceptable, then what else is there? Yeah, exactly. What do you have now except to go super straight-laced? Like, the most shocking thing he could do right now is be completely clean and sober and, like... Take a shower. And take a shower. Honestly, most shocking thing Meryl Manson could do. Take, take a, a shower. shower and, like, be a Trump supporter Ooh, or something. don't do that. Maybe like, don't. Do- but that maybe that's the campaign the most- for Bernie. That'd be nice. That would be nice. Be he nice. should do that. He should. Um, Elizabeth Warren. That'd be cute. But like that would be the most shocking thing he could do right now. Yeah. That would certainly shock me, and that would shock most of the people that know him and are fans, or at least at one time were fans. Yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, and in his defense, the critics still expect him to bring shock rock to the table when it may not even be an option anymore. Yeah. Manson seems to do what he wants now, which is justified. He's paid his dues in the industry, and frankly, I think he should be allowed to just go down some kind of contemporary art path. That seems kind of most logical at this point. Yeah. And, you know, if he wants to sing about his personal problems, I think that's fine. You know, people shouldn't be giving him problems. Like, I just think it's weird to be like, no, sing about, like, the Antichrist, even though it's not a thing anymore that we worry about. <laughs> I don't know. No matter what road Marilyn Manson goes down, he will always be remembered for his iconic envelope-pushing performances from the late 90s to the early 2000s. He inspired many to take a stand for their beliefs and speak their truths. There may also be a small bit of martyrdom there, too, as many blamed him for the violence in America that he actually spoke out against. Mm -hmm. But for all we know, that could have been what he wanted the whole time. He's such a mystery. He still is a mystery. He's a mysterious man. He's a man you're never going to know everything about, but you're also going to know way too much about. Yeah. This whole time, he's just been fucking Sarah McLaughlin and all this shit. He's building a mystery. Ooh. That's a deep cut from Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. I like that. That was a good one. It's a good song, though. That's a good song. <laughs> Let's go listen to some Sarah McLaughlin. Let's go do some Lilith Fair shit. All right. Nice. I'm cool with that. All right. 
Well, that's what I got on Manson. <laughs> there you go. There you go, guys. Oh, that was a lot. Super spoopy episode for October. Yes. I mean, you know, go listen to some Manson if you want to put yourself in a weird, creepy mood. Don't lock yourself in a or room some, with like, it. Just some nostalgia shit. Just go listen to Antichrist Superstar because I kind of want to do that now. You know what? I'm going to say out of the trilogy, my favorite album might actually be Hollywood. Mm, probably underrated. I think it is underrated because I feel like, you know, like, uh, Antichrist Superstar has the the raw, dirty feel. And then, like, mm-hmm. you know, you have um, mechanical animals that's, like, kind of polished glam. And then Hollywood goes back to the raw. But I think because they've had the experience Evens of the polishedness. Yeah, I think it's an even keel of the three. And apparently Hollywood is supposed to be the prequel. And then it's mechanical animals. And then it's Antichrist Superstar. I don't know. I will do an episode on that someday, because, again, the trilogy thing is really fascinating. Yeah. It's it's really cool, the way they thought that it out. It sounds like a really good idea. It is. I really wish well, more even people with, knew yeah, that it was supposed to be a, a, a triptych. A triptych. Yeah. Well, even, like, within the albums, too, the setup, especially with Antichrist Superstar, is really mm-hmm. fucking fascinating the way they do it. So, yeah, I mean... If anything, just go listen to those three albums. They're going to be full of nostalgia, and they are good. Yeah. They're very good albums. Um, I would argue I'm not in love with much else outside <laughs> of the trilogy. But again, I am a Surface fan at but best. But also, like, I don't blame you for that at all. But again, I am a Surface, ban- f- surface fan at best as yep. well. Yeah. So. yeah. Surface fans, listen to the trilogy. Real fans, <laughs> do whatever you feel like. Oh, man, yeah. do whatever you feel like. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to us talk forever about Marilyn Manson. <laughs> it's a long fucking story, but I mean... It has to be told. Yeah. It must be told. You must all hear about the Manson. Mr. Manson. And apparently... Mr. Twi- Manson, Mr. if you're Manson. nasty. Mr. Manson, if you're polite. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And if you guys are digging what you are listening to, you can always go find more goodies on our website at www.rockcandypodcast.com. There you can download episodes. You can toss us an email. You can find our social media accounts because we got the Twitter, the Facebook, and the Instagram. So all of that is there. And also I might suggest that you scoot on over to Pantheon Podcasts is the network we're a part of. And there is so much more as far as music podcasts go. We aren't the only ones. So go hit up our sister podcasts and supporting them supports us and we appreciate it. I'm sure they do too. They are very much worth listening to. 100%. Also, if you feel so generous to throw some money our way, you can go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast and you can donate some money to us. We'll buy some beers and some nice equipment Mm. and we will Mm. send you some awesome swag in return as well as access to a really awesome bonus episode every month. Yes. So get on that. We put our heart and soul into and usually maybe get a little too tipsy for. Yeah. That we always record at the end of the evening. Which maybe we should stop doing that. No. It's what they're here for. I think. It's what they pay money for. I think? <laughs> Oof. All right. Well, all right then. Until next week with more, more spoopy stories. More spoop. Most, more spoop. More stories. More spoop. More stories. Because... That is how we are doing this month in October. And I think next week will be an interesting one. Next week's probably going to be another long one. It might be. 
We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm excited. It's um an interesting story that a lot of people might not know, but maybe they do know. I think I, I think know. it's gonna be a half and half. I think some people are gonna know it and some people are gonna be like, I don't know. Yeah, this. and if and if you don't know it, you should know it. So get ready for next week. It's gonna be really cool. If you don't know, soon you'll know. <laughs> but if you don't know, then you should know. And you're gonna know. Next week. Next week. But it's when you'll know. Then. But until then you won't know. <laughs> Fuck it. Okay, we're leaving. Yep, Bye. Yep. Party, party <laughs> on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Trip out with your dick out. <laughs> hey, this is Travis. And I'm Quentin. And we're the hosts of No Filler Podcast. Each week, we take an album and dive into the tracks between the singles. We believe that more often than not, it's the songs that weren't singles that are sometimes the best tracks on the album. So far, we've covered everything from Sade to Korn. In each episode, we'll dive into a little history of the artist and the album of choice, with snippets from interviews and concerts, as well as music from the album itself. Check us out on the Pantheon Podcast Network or anywhere else you get your podcast from. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of.